After the aging spy out the door, after a half-century of public service encompassing eight different presidencies. But in private, a vicious war had begun between the Kennedy and Dulles camps, with the two men and their advocates working the press and arguing not just the botched mechanics of the invasion, but the past and future of U.S. foreign policy. The Bay of Pigs came after a long string of Dulles victories. Given free reign by President Eisenhower to police the world against any insurgent threat to U.S. dominion, Dulles's CIA overthrew nationalist governments in Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East, and even targeted troublesome leaders in allied European countries. Dulles called himself the Secretary of State for Unfriendly Countries, which had an ominous ring when one took note of what happened to unfriendly countries in the American century. Meanwhile, his brother John Foster Dulles, Eisenhower's official Secretary of State, brought the gloom of a doomsday-obsessed vicar to his job with his frequent sermons on communist perfidy and his constant threats of nuclear annihilation. John Foster Dulles needed communism the way the Puritans needed sin, the infamous British double agent Kim Philby once remarked, with his long, dour face topped by his ever-present banker's humbug, the elder Dulles always seemed to be on the brink of foreclosing on all human hope and happiness. By 1959, John Foster Dulles was rapidly succumbing to stomach cancer. It was as if the bile building up inside him all those years over the fallen state of the world had finally devoured him. And by then, Eisenhower himself was heart-troubled and weary of his job. Only Alan Dulles still stood firmly at the top, past retirement age at 66, but still determined that the ancient regime must continue. When President Kennedy began his vigorous new reign in 1961, he decided to keep Alan Dulles as CIA chief, despite the obvious differences in their world outlooks. With his brush mustache, wire-rimmed glasses, tweed suits, and beloved pipe, Dulles could have been one of the elderly dons that young Jack Kennedy had studied under at Harvard. As a young senator, JFK had broken from the Eisenhower-Dulles regime over the older men's nuclear brinkmanship, a game that Kennedy felt courted the abyss. Kennedy had also signaled an eagerness to dramatically change America's hostile relationship to the developing world, expressing a sympathy for the national liberation movements in Algeria, the Congo, Vietnam, and elsewhere that he saw as historically inevitable. While President Eisenhower viewed the onrush of anti-colonial independence in the Third World as a destructive hurricane, Kennedy recognized it as the future. Though their visions for how the United States should navigate the globe were profoundly far apart, Kennedy was loath to completely overturn the old ruling order that had been presided over by a popular World War II hero. Keeping Eisenhower men like Dulles and other Republican pillars of power like Wall Street banker and statesman C. Douglas Dillon, whom JFK named his Treasury Secretary, was the new president's way of assuring the nation that he would be leading an orderly transition to the new frontier.
But Kennedy soon realized that when it came to men like Dulles, his political calculation was a grave mistake. Alan Dulles was one of the wiliest masters of secret power ever produced by America, and his most ambitious clandestine efforts were directed not against hostile governments, but against his own. While serving in multiple presidential administrations, he learned to manipulate them and sometimes subvert them. In the view of the Dulles brothers, democracy was an enterprise that had to be carefully managed by the right men, not simply left to elected officials as a public trust. From their earliest days on Wall Street, where they ran Sullivan and Cromwell, the most powerful corporate law firm in the nation, their overriding commitment was always to the circle of a comp-